Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So people ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Here we are thanking you for joining us. We're getting our uh, recording set up, getting all ready to get started through the uh, continued through the, the Gospel of Matthew. That's where we are as we get ready for a brand new year, Jacob. What year is it going to be? Uh, of course, this is not the Jewish calendar, but oh, it's, it's not the Jewish calendar. The good old calendar well, actually, that we. The Jews don't have a calendar, but God does. <laughs> oh, that's that's pretty cool. Well, no, no, we. Uh, Brandon, can you believe 2020? I remember when I was a kid, I was talking to some of the um, trainees this morning in some of our study classes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Guess what we did today? Today was a remarkable day. It was the last Sunday of this year. Uh-huh. And in the second hour of our Bible studies, this, we have three hours. One starts at eight o'clock to nine o'clock, and then nine thirty to ten, nine thirty to ten thirty, and then eleven to twelve. Three hours of, of Bible study with the basic trainees out at Lackland. And in the second hour, uh, our attendance with the attendance that came the first hour, and then during it was during the second hour, we surpassed uh, a, our record attendance for our classes in a single year. Wow. We went over 100,000. 100,000 young men and women that have attended. Our attendance has been that over that. That represents about 20, 23,000 individuals <clears throat> because they come, they come, of course, many of them come to eight or all nine of the classes. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, they come to an average of seven about seven classes, seven a little over seven classes each, but that was so exciting to us. That's 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 so wonderful. We get to do that. But I was talking to a group of them this morning uh, about uh, that idea, the new year, and, and I remember when I was a kid, I grew up thinking, wow, two thousand seemed. The year 2000 seems so far ahead, so that we, wow, couldn't even imagine. Can you imagine being alive in the year 2000? And that was, you know, back in the 60s, 70s. And, wow. and, and here we are, 2020 even coming up on the, we're getting wow. old, aren't we? I guess. Well, we're, one of us is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're like Suzanne. Suzanne never wants to use the word old. I mean, you're not old. You know, okay, okay. I, I, I. Well, you know, I don't mean anything uh, badly about being old, but no, it's, no. As a matter of fact, uh, what about the people who talk about their age as like, I'm seventy five years young. Yeah, well, I guess that could be all right. Uh, I'm not a big thank you, John, for that good question. Uh, I, I'm just not sensitive to age at all. I'm not sensitive about too little, too much, whatever. 
I'm just what I am, and that's what you are. I am what I am. Popeye the same. So I don't really kind of try to be old, try to be young. Yeah, I guess you're just what you are. Uh, but to, to some people are kind so of like sensitive Bill about it. It is what it is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. I, uh, but but some people, you know, they they're a little sensitive about the age. So I thing. got a question for you. Yeah. Yeah. Before yeah. we get started. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you know, I just got back tonight. It's the last night of Hanukkah. Hanukkah. It's yes, it is. Last Happy night Hanukkah, tonight. my friend. Huh? Happy Hanukkah oh, to you. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You uh, betcha. Uh, we didn't do we didn't do much except Muzzle pass off, yeah. Anyway, but I do want to tell you that uh, did you? I ran into this old rancher. I ran. Huh? Mm, I ran has been in the news a lot lately. <laughs> Okay. I'm just going with your lead. You, okay. know, you, you said you. I ran into it. Well, I was going to finish the sentence and say. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, uh, the uh, I actually ran to an old rancher in Arizona when I was over there, and uh, and he said ah, I was on Christmas Eve day, mm-hmm. and he said I'm out here looking for a present for my wife, and I got to find her one. And I said, Well, what does she want? And he said, Well, I believe she wants a dog. A dog. And a dog. And I said, a dog? He said, yeah, you know one of those long hot dog dogs? And I said, you mean like a dash on? And he said, yeah, that's it. And I said, well, how do you know she wants that? And he said, well, when I was walking out the door, she said, get along, little doggy. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it, with that. Uh, uh, is that deserve a, an applause? Well, I think you get it. Get, get along, little doggy. Get along, little doggy, and so you. I guess. Well, hey, did you, did that's you, the best I can do. You know do for what that the one. hat said to the scarf? What did the hat say to the scarf? Uh-huh. Um, get along, something. I don't know. No, Why? Not even. Uh, the hat said, "You know, you just hang around, but I go on ahead." <laughs> Okay, uh, you got any more of these? Let's get them uh, all over I'll, I'll, with. I'll, I'll, I'll weed them in as we continue. <laughs> okay, okay. Where's the gong? The gong, I don't know. I, yeah, you guys remind me. I've of got a rim shot and I've got applause, and neither yeah, one know, of those uh, deserve applause. Yeah, you guys are sort of like Unix. You can see the performance, but you can't duplicate it. You know? That's right. We're, we're jealous. That's right. <laughs> Anyway, folks, we are ready for another edition of the Bible Live. As you know, we uh, make our way through the entire Bible every year. Our reading schedule has us all in the, the Gospel of Matthew. We finished up Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, and then we just in time for the Christmas season, we come to the New Testament and pick up there with the first of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we pick up the Gospel of Matthew uh, and we got started last week. Now, this week, we read chapters 10 through 26, so we'll be uh, talking about those. And, and and frankly, I mean, I love the Gospel of Matthew. I love the Gospel. I love, I've come to admire and love and just enjoy so much the life and the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. I, I just... I, I admire so much who he was, what he did, what he accomplished. And, uh, of course, Matthew is a book really strongly, uh, as an emphasis at least, uh, written uh, essentially with the Jewish 
uh, people of his era in mind, uh, talking to them about the Christ, the King, the Messiah as the King of Israel. And uh, so his emphasis, he has just a lot of scripture. He emphasizes a lot of the prophecies and predictions that were fulfilled in in the life of Jesus and uh, kind of presents the the, the, – What's right? The, the the claims of Christ, his messianic claims, his um, what's there's a there's a legal term his feed uh, something fetus uh, his um, bona fides bona fides as, as his his yeah his his. Uh, the, the the basis for his claims that that, that uh, to be that well, long awaited promised Messiah. I would agree with you because actually he's uh, holding on to as I read it. He's holding on to the God's commandments. Exactly. And that is the requirement for the Messiah. If the Messiah teaches anything else or a guy comes along and says, I'm the Messiah, and I'm teaching something different than the commandments, then we know two things. One, he's a liar, and two, he's not the Messiah. <laughs> okay. Well, then that, that – and that is the perspective that we're hoping to – that you're going to continue to give us, that as we look through these scriptures, uh, there's always – and, and, and folks, you got to have patience with me. Those that listen to us regularly and go through the scriptures with us each year, uh, you know this. But uh, we, I'm Native American. I'm Mescalero Apache. I, I came to faith in Christ when I was eight years old, began to walk with the Lord and, and know him and learn to love the scriptures and study the scriptures. But always, always from this, from our Basically, English-speaking, American, Gentile perspective. I've never really had an intense exposure to the Scriptures from uh, the Hebrew language, culture, history uh, perspective. And uh, But every time I have had it, Jacob, every time over these many years walking with the Lord, every time that I've... So been, now you've had it. But every time I've had it in a church, in a conference setting, or perhaps in a church with a special speaker, a Jewish speaker who comes to address the scriptures, it has always been an incredible blessing. It just it's so eye opening. It has always been eye opening to me that, uh, and now I finally came to the conclusion that how could we possibly understand this book uh, apart from an appreciation for the Hebrew language, Hebrew history, Hebrew culture, because it, it's it, it's about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's about the Jewish Messiah. It's written by Jews of the first century, uh, and, and they, of course, were in, in were just like Jesus himself, were informed entirely from the Hebrew scriptures. The, Every time you squeeze Jesus, out came the uh, Tanakh, out came the Old Testament, you know, with the the prophets, the the the, the law of Moses, and so on. So, uh, you you keep doing what you do. Just keep giving us that perspective uh, about um, the life, the time, the, and, and uh, the Jesus here. The, it's a little different sometimes. It comes and we go, huh? Really? You got that out of it? We don't. Get- and you know. I could, in all fairness, I mean, it's my point of view, and I may be wrong, but I am an expert in my own opinion. Exactly, and I respect that. But, but and I, I don't, I don't know how often we've ever actually clashed about, actually disagreed. Uh, I guess we've kind of been doing this together so long that uh, uh, there's a fundamental basic respect for the perspective each of us bring. But uh, I, I really think. 
I, I can't think of very many cases at all that that I would disagree. I mean, because nothing you seem to bring, nothing you seem to say, contradicts or, or, or makes me think less of Jesus or makes me think, well, maybe he's not the Messiah. Uh, everything you you seem to tell us seems to reinforce the fact that well, he he did everything right. You know, he he taught uh, the Torah. He lived the Torah. He, he you know he said, "Which of you would accuse me of any of breaking any law? Which law?" You know, he 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 was a bona fide, committed, practicing Jew of the first century, uh, in every sense, as far as I can tell, and uh, taught the Torah, taught the the, the scriptures. Um, so I, I I have been very much encouraged. And I will have to say all along the way that the insight and the perspective that you've brought, and none of it seems to me to be disruptive in any way of my well, faith. I, I don't think in uh, him. You know, just my opinion, but I don't think you have to. <clears throat> pardon me. Know all the details and understand it to have faith in God or Jesus. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think a person can have the faith and know little or nothing. That's true. I, I, when I was eight years old and I made my, my decision to follow Christ, I mean, I understood the gospel like an eight-year-old child understands the gospel. Sure. You know, it was simple and it was God loves you. There is a problem of selfishness and sin, but God has made a provision. His son has come and borne the penalty of your sin so that you could be set free. And you have a decision to make. Do you want to be a part of the people of God? Do you want to be forgiven and cleansed and, and to begin to walk in that relationship? And I did. Uh, that's, you know, I'm, I did. And I made a serious commitment to trust him and follow him. And uh, and it's been now mm, <laughs> a few decades later now. I'm still there just in loving the journey. Uh, and uh, But really, I am telling you, and I mean this to be a real positive invitation to you to continue to to give us those insights. Now, we were talking tonight about the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, particularly, we do share that perspective, uh, the Jewish perspective, and and my perspective, at least uh, kind of representing, um, to some degree, I would say, the evangelical Christian view of the Scriptures, that, that Matthew seems to be the Gospel that focuses most on on the claims of the messianic claims of Jesus to be the king of Israel the long awaited promised messiah mark seems to be a book that uh, the theme seems to be more uh, Jesus as his servanthood he goes serving people helping people uh, touching people's lives throughout the gospel of mark and then luke uh, is the only gentile author of the new testament in the new testament and he writes about Jesus emphasizing his humanity, uh, the aspect of his life as a perfect man of faith and trust and obedience to the Father. And then John, of course, we 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 are told, is the more the more in a sense theological of the four gospels, in that he uh, teaches about Jesus as in his role. Uh, not his role, but in his um, being the, the the eternal Son of God incarnate, the Word become flesh. But he emphasizes explaining to us the Christology, uh, the idea of the of the uh, the Messiah, uh, his incarnation, that how God uh, um, becomes a man to carry out a work of redemption. And so you have these four different emphases. It's kind of like four. Um, it's not uh, four separate. They do. They do, of course, agree 
and they're on they do uh, um, parallel they do they do uh, come to the same conclusion but each of them has a slightly different perspective it's like four paintings of the Messiah, and each has their own angle and their own perspective of what they saw, what they heard, what they gleaned, and uh, Matthew's is is that particularly that particular Jewish perspective of uh, the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, let's give an example of that. You and I were talking before the program in chapter. You know what I'd like to do? Could I do this fourteen just for yeah, just huh? a moment before we get sure, started? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, I'd like to give a little background of the world that Jesus was born into. Good, good, good. And don't forget to include the idea of the Hanukkah, because uh, I don't want to forget fact. that either. So okay. we know that Jesus kept Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. It's in John ten twenty two. So we know he kept a festival mm-hmm. of lights, or Hanukkah. That's the Hebrew word Hanukkah for festival of lights. Uh, so we know he kept it. So he is very familiar with it. Now, here's an interesting background. Uh, when the What Hanukkah really is, is restoring, it's called the eight, nights, uh, the eight Nights of a Miracle. And what it is, is when they took the temples back from the Greeks. So, so it'll be like uh, Fort Worth declaring war on the United States. <laughs> but they, when they took the temple back, uh, they found only one little cruise, one little fixture of oil. And it was enough for one night. But when, when was this? What's the, his, uh, the this, setting? Well, this would be a couple hundred years before Jesus was born. Uh-huh. But And after the Greeks, of course, the Romans come in, and the Romans really have adopted the Greek gods. Mm-hmm. So and, uh, and they were the Romans were a little more liberal in the beginning with the Jews than the Greeks. But if we start learning the world that Jesus was born into, I think it gives it context. It sure does. Okay, so here's the catch. Now, uh, Hanukkah, they call it eight nights of miracle. What's so miracle about it? Because there's enough oil for the first night. There's no miracle there, is there? That should One night's right. For the other seven nights it continued on, might be a miracle. So why would they say the first night is eight days? It's because of this. Number one, they had the willingness to search and find the little cruise of oil. So and, the Jews fought against the Greeks. Okay, for the actually, a lot of people took don't back know the this. City, this right? war went on for several years, uh-huh. and there was great resistance. Then after the temple was taken back, it still went on for another three and a half years. But let me give you something you don't know. Okay. Okay, so they, the reason they call it eight days, because it, it's one day of oil, but it went on for eight days. But the first day, if there's one, if there's enough oil for one day, this shouldn't be a miracle there, except ex- this, that there was one left, and the willingness of the Jews to search the temple and find it. Now, why did it have to take eight days? Because it took eight days to press more olives. It took eight days to make oil. So at the end of eight days, they'd have new oil again. But they had to have for eight days. But here's the catch. Now, this war I just told you about went on for a number of years before they took the temple back. Right? Okay. And it went on for about three and a half years afterwards. But this is interesting. Nothing is talked about about the war. The war is not talked about. Mm-hmm. It's the, the, all the concentration is on that the oil restored what you might call the spirit of God back in the temple. So the entire emphasis is about the oil and the war and all the horrors 
are totally ignored. So when they got the temple back, then they want to restore the candle. Is this the the menorah? The menorah. Okay, so the temple for the lighting of the I mean the the oil for the lighting of the menorah in the temple, right. and and there was enough for one day. One day, but it lasted for eight days. Eight days, and because of that, the Jewish people said, "We're going to remember this." This that's right. This time that uh, is correct. It had nothing to do with the war itself. Well, it was God's the war provision. Is what led to this, but I'm going to give you some details so you understand what happened mm-hmm. then and what the Romans do, so you understand the world Jesus was born into. Let me just uh, like the Greeks. Yes, that's important. The Greeks at one time, believe it or not, passed a law that no Jew could make put a bolt or a lock or a latch on their doors. In other words, the doors had to stand open. So what the Jews did in reaction, they took down all their front doors. That's how they dealt with it. Now the houses are standing open. And that means anybody can come in or out. That also means that they uh, that there's no privacy. Uh, and so what happened is they then the, when the Jews took the doors down, the Greeks then made a law saying, well... Uh, we want you to take all your kosher animals, sheep, cows, whatever, and you have to brand their horns with the names of Greek gods. Their horns? Their horns. The uh-huh. horns. And, so the, and that would make them unkosher so the Jews couldn't have them. So what did the Jews do? They turned their animals loose. So now they still could find things that lived in the wilderness that might be kosher, such as a deer, or maybe mm-hmm. they'll get lucky and run across one of their abandoned sheep. Uh-huh. But that so they so the Greeks kept seeing how the Jews were handling this. So, and then they and the Jews, because the front door was gone, could not have uh, intimate times with their wives because uh-huh. anybody could stand there and come in or watch. Sure. So they made a decision to no longer have intimacy with their wives. So that's the only way they could deal with it. Actually, it does occur back in Exodus 2 with Moses, but that's another story. Anyway, so that's all taking place. Now, what did the Greeks do in reaction to that? The Greeks said, well, since the Jewish men and women are not having relations, us Greeks will have the right to rape any Jewish woman. Now, and then they passed the most severe and foul law they could find. It's called uh, Imperator Noctis or in, uh-huh. in, uh, in Latin. What it means is first night. Uh-huh. And what that meant was the controlling Greek governor of that territory had the right, whenever a Jewish woman got married, she must spend the first night with the governor rather than her husband. Was, was that... Something that already existed, and I, I know if, if I've seen Braveheart, you know, Braveheart in England, and so on, they had that story. same sort of that, thing. That's right. Did that already exist? Had other people already practiced that before, or the Greeks were the? You no, know, the Greeks, the Greeks had the had the rule, and they imposed it other places. Oh, I see. So they imposed it on the Jews. Now here is an interesting part of the story. So they imposed that. So the Jews stopped having weddings. Uh huh. Now, that's interesting, but the women were taken and raped by the Greeks whenever they wanted. Anyway. And uh, actually, it was about that time, all the way through time for Jesus, when the rule became developed that, you know, that how do you determine a Jew? They, are, they now say, if your mother's Jewish, right? Right. Well, why is that? Because a, a Jewish woman 
we know she's Jewish. But because of all the rape that was going on, we did not know if the father was Jewish. So they implemented a rule. And actually, the Romans implemented the same rule. Said, well, a person is a Roman citizen if their mother was a Roman. Isn't that fascinating? But let's go back to this. First well, it's heartbreaking month. is what it is. Well, it, uh, yeah, it's interesting from a well, historical well, perspective. No, so but, you've got this. You can't have a front door. You can't have weddings. You can't do anything. This is the world that the Greeks introduced, and the Romans took it over. When the Romans first took it over, they actually did a, uh, they were a little more friendly, a little more liberal. They didn't care as long as they got the money. But then they got more and more harsh and implemented many of the same rules. In fact, the Romans ended up yeah. banning having the Torah. Couldn't circumcise, couldn't they, have a calendar, that, couldn't have Eventually there were three the things that were death penalties. One, having the Torah. Two, having a Jewish calendar. Three, circumcising the boys. Because all those indicated something other than Rome. Right. Now, and with the Greeks, this is interesting. Let me tell you what uh, the background history. Now you're living in that type of an approach. Let me say how why it's important. Uh, we're fixing to, have to take a break, and I want to make sure that folks understand why we're. This is really legitimate for us. We have to talk talk about this. That uh, uh, w- one of the biggest mistakes we make, I believe, as Western uh, Gentile believers, is that we don't have this context. We don't understand how corrupt. How compromised, uh, not uh, the society, but the religious aspect, politically, uh, the social. There was so much corruption in the time of Jesus because of the imposition of Greek rules and law. And then come the Romans on top of that. There was so much compromise and so much forced um, uh, corruption in their society. Uh, no longer were the Levites, you know, the, the, the priesthood was bought and sold. Uh, was well, for sale and, and all these things. you know the things. term Hellenist, right? Re- yes. Uh-huh. Hellenist is the real word for the Greeks. That is Greek. When they say Helen, Hellenist, that means Greek. Exactly. And so the, all this residual influence of these uh, controlling empires over them, this is the world well, that Jesus you, had to walk back, I'm and live in. I'm going to tell you what happened that caused the temple to be taken back. All right. That's uh, something you can look, look forward to with us, folks. We're going to be back in just a bit. Don't go away. Don't go far at all because we won't be long. But the Bible Live will continue. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. It is through our weakness that the beauty and power of Christ Jesus can be seen. Welcome to another word of encouragement from our daily bread. 
Today's reading is titled, A Design Deficiency, and it was written by David Roper. There's a natural spring that rises on the east side of the city of Jerusalem. In ancient times, it was the city's only water supply and was located outside the walls. Thus, it was the point of Jerusalem's greatest vulnerability. The exposed spring meant that the city, otherwise impenetrable, could be forced to surrender if an attacker were to divert or dam the spring. King Hezekiah addressed this weakness by driving a tunnel through 1,750 feet of solid rock from the spring into the city where it flowed into the lower pool. But in all of this, Isaiah 22 records that Hezekiah did not look to the one who made it or have regard for the one who planned it long ago. Planned what? God himself planned the city of Jerusalem in such a way that its water supply was unprotected. The spring outside the wall was a constant reminder that the inhabitants of the city must depend solely on him for their salvation. Can it be that our deficiencies exist for our good? Indeed, the Apostle Paul said that he would boast in his limitations because it was through weakness that the beauty and power of Jesus was seen in him. Can we then regard each limitation as a gift that reveals God as our strength? You'll find more helpful tools and resources when you download the Our Daily Bread mobile app. Go to getodbtoday.org. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Middle of the day or middle of the night, you can always hear your favorite national and local ministry shows on AM 630 The Word, including Truth For Life, weekday mornings at 7, and Maranatha Bible Church, weekdays at 5 p.m. Hear the Word all day, every day on AM 630 The Word at am630theword.com. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. Mumford & Sons' latest release, Blind Leading the Blind, is a lyrical narrative that looks closely at our modern culture, revealing some uncomfortable truths along the way. Cynicism buys me no more time here. Imagine my relief to hit the wall. This song declares that we're self-absorbed and detached from the sufferings around us. But it also points out that there's a glimmer of hope to be found if we can push aside the isolating aspects of media and reach for connections through personal relationships. For all of those positive encouragements, though, the song includes one very harsh profanity, an unnecessary addition that will keep this tune out of bounds for many. For a full review of the song, go to PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olszewski for Focus on the Family, Plugged In. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Colors, he made their tiny wings. 
we are back. We are back. Uh, We are in the Gospel of Matthew tonight, folks. We're kind of giving the context here first, spending a little time trying to help uh, as we approach the Gospels. Uh, As I mentioned earlier to you, Jacob, uh, this this morning as I was, uh, we were teaching and working with our classes there at Lackland, and it's one of those areas that we as Western modern believers. We, I think we, we have never, particularly the Gentile world, we've never really understood the complication, the, the, the duress under which Jesus carried out his ministry. Because there was, there was compromise, there was the corruption, there was the, they were under the thumb of the, of this, of the Roman Empire, and, and you know, it was a very sensitive. It was a very I don't know how to say it, very sensitive. That that sounds underestimates. It was a dangerous world, really, in which for him to move well, in. The and, Romans had a law, and people do some misunderstand this from Acts chapter ten. But the law says we. The Paul says, or Peter says, uh-huh. we have a law. That's not a Jewish law. It's a Roman law. We have a law imposed upon us. Right. If a Jew converts a Roman. The Roman can lose his estate, all of his property. But the Jew dies, his family dies. So it's a risky business. That's the world they live in. Okay. Let me go back just briefly to talk about Hanukkah. This is the piece of the story. We concentrate on the oil because that's restoring the spirit of God and the light of God Uh. to the temple. But here's what happened. So there was a high priest in Israel at that time. His name was Matayahu. And he had a daughter named Hannah, Hannah. And she was going to marry one of the sons of one of the Hasmonean princes, which is one of the ruling tribes. And so they planned a wedding. Well, remember, this law had been imposed that if you have a wedding, the governor sleeps with your wife the first night before you do. Mm-hmm. And in Israel, morality and modesty is a very high commodity, and it's very well uh, honored and respected. So here's what happens. So they have a wedding banquet. Well, Hannah knows what's waiting for her with the governor. She stands up. Now, she becomes the symbol, what you might say, for the temple itself. So she stands up in front of everybody at this wedding feast, this ceremony, and takes off all of her clothes, stands there naked. And she, and she puts her hands up and she prays to God and said, God, help us. I'm going to be raped, etc. And she prays to God. Well, what happened is, and she gives a speech. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing this in summary, okay? Just summary. And what happens is, she said, and she quotes the story of Diana mm-hmm. and Simon when, remember, uh, their sister was raped, and then mm-hmm. they went out and they killed the guys that raped her, but mm-hmm. after the rape. And so she gives a speech to all the priests and all the Levites and everybody else about Diana. And that's what they did. She said, you're offended by me taking off my clothes, but you're not offended by the fact I'm going to be raped. You're submitting yourself to allow your women and me to be raped. And that so inspired and so incensed the Jews, they immediately rebelled. And they got so angry, the protect Hannah, 
the daughter of the mm-hmm. high priest Matayahu, mm-hmm. and the other women. Is that what sparked the it, rebellion? The last spark, yes. And then they took the temple back, because this feast is being taken place just outside the temple. So the war began. Now, when we do Hanukkah, we always concentrate only on the eight days and the miracle of the oil and the Spirit of God returning to the temple. Great. But this is the background. The background. Mm -hmm. So Hannah, when she did that, it was a woman that inspired the men to stand up and take the temple back. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a remarkable Mm -hmm. story? Mm -hmm. So they took it back. They found the one cruise of oil. And but we only concentrate on that cruise of oil and the fact that it went on for eight days and it's like restoring the spirit, the light of God. But the fact is this the war went on for another three and a half years after. But that's the background. So we carry it forward. And the Greeks are called Hellenists. You'll find the Hellenists referred to in the New Testament constantly. And those are the Greeks. Well this when the Romans first took over, they were a little more liberal, but they put their own gods in the temple, and the Jews that were cooperating to survive, they went along with the Greeks. Well, that's the world that Jesus was born into. Very, very, very oppressive world. And horrible, horrible things. And that's actually, as I say, when the rule actually became implemented that if your mother was Jewish, then you're Jewish. Because the women were so subject to being raped by the Romans or whatever. So, that's what took place. So if we understand this is the oppressive society, and they didn't pass, at one point the Romans passed a law that 14 Jews had to live on one acre. That's how impressive it was. Yeah. The only way you could survive is if basically you became a flunky or an ally of a traitor, you might say, mm-hmm. and worked with the Romans in Jesus' day. But they were taking over. The Romans loved the Greek gods. They took over the Greek gods. They changed their names a little bit, but they loved the Greek culture, and they thought they were very, very educated. So mm-hmm. they liked that. So what happens is, now, Jesus is living in this world where the Jews have no rights. The real Levites, by the way, I want to point out one thing. In the Gospels, in the New Testament, the Christian scriptures, you there's one group of people that Jesus never picks a fight with. He never corrects. He never argues with. Do you know what group that is? Well, remember, the rule is Jesus didn't sin. If he didn't sin, then he obeyed all God's laws. Mm-hmm. Disobeying God's laws is a mm-hmm. sin. sin. So, the one group that he never picks a fight with are the Levites. The Levites, okay. Everybody else he's fighting. Well, see, the Levites were kicked out of the temple. Ananias, Caiaphas, all those guys. Those are not Levites. Now, John the Baptist's parents were not, evidently. Zechariah... John. Was did have his time in the temple? Remember, he when when he found out his son, his wife Elizabeth was pregnant, uh, it was his time to serve in the temple. His time he, to he, serve in the rotation. But the guys in charge were no longer Cohens, no longer priests, and you could buy the office. But part of it was you had to find a way to raise taxes and pay money to Rome, which dedicated some of the money to their gods. Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. So that's the situation. We, and especially for like a very devout religious Orthodox guy like Jesus, that was and that's of course explain and that was the context of my remarks this morning in talking about the life and the ministry of Jesus uh, as the Messiah is that he went. That's why he 
went to John the Baptist to be baptized because that's why John is a Levite. John is a Levite. We know that from the book of Luke. His mom and dad were both a hundred percent Levites, mm-hmm. so John is a hundred percent. And he was a godly, god preaching. And he has to be out at the river. He's not in the temple. Why? Because they kicked out those guys. And there's a story that comes up later. But right now, let's take a look and see what Jesus is doing because he's. Storing the commandments, I believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So look at chapter 12. Okay. Matthew chapter 12. It says uh, they, they lead a discussion about the Sabbath. Uh, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Well, look at, look at so verse on. 1. Okay. 12 1. Look uh-huh. what it says. At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them doing that, and they protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, Haven't you read the Scriptures, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work in, on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. So the man of, for the Son of Man, uh, a, a, a description from the book of Daniel, or uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, I think it is, principally, the Son of Man is a title of the, of the, of the Messiah. He is Lord even over the Sabbath. Did well, I read too much? Or am I, no, no, okay. you're, you're just fine. But what I want to point out is all of chapter 12 takes mm-hmm. place on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. begins in verse 1, the Sabbath. As we go through all of chapter 12, it's all about the Sabbath. And so it says, uh, he went to, uh, you have you not read in the law, on the Sabbath the priest in the temple, and they are not supposed to break the Sabbath, but they're supposed to be innocent. So, he's, so what he's doing is, he's talking about the Sabbath. Right? Now, here's something interesting. And starting in the Christian, a lot of times they use these subheadings, subtitles. And they'll say in verse 8, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. Well, if that's referring to Jesus, then it's 100% right, as you say. If it's referring to all people who own their own days, Uh then each person is responsible for keeping their Sabbath. Uh Now, this is interesting. And see, in the verse 10, there was a man whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. 11. This is 12, verse 11. And he yeah. said to them, What man is there among you that has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, he will not take hold of it and lift him out. Okay? Of course you would, he says. Of course you would. Now, so we got the setting. Jesus on the Sabbath is talking to these so-called Roman appointees. And he says, 12, how much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Now, I'm going to tell you, Soapy, this is the first chapter when I read the Christian scriptures. I said, there's something wrong here. These guys, these so-called Pharisees, whoever they are, these appointees, whatever they are, mm-hmm. they don't know what the law is because Jesus is actually quoting the law correctly. They're the ones that get it wrong. And so I thought, well, this is this isn't right. But he goes in there and he goes into a temple. We're still on the Sabbath because it says in verse, uh, he started on verse 1, Sabbath. 
And now he's talking, and he goes in there, and then he says to the, look at verse 14. Yeah. He says, okay, and he says, uh, uh, he said, oh, he, I'm sorry, 13. He says, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And it was restored like the normal. And the Pharisees uh, went out, and they conspired against him as how they might destroy him. Why? Were they going to destroy him because he simply healed the guy? Now, let me tell you one of the things I catch when I read this. I assume it was because that made him a dangerous threat to them in some way, right? Well, it's worse than that. Here's the key. Uh, contrary to what some misteaching is, it is always, always required that you help a human being uh, even on the Sabbath. One of the most holy rabbis in the history of the world just oh, 30 years ago. Uh, a woman was having a baby he, on Yom Kippur. He left the bima, the the pulpit, and he went down and he actually went to her house and helped her deliver the baby. Now, the requirement is that you must. Now, these guys are saying, well, you can't heal on the Sabbath. Well, that's not Jewish law. It never has been Jewish law. You're required to, so they don't seem to know what it is. And they don't know about picking this grain. You can pick the grain. It's in Deuteronomy 23. It says, as you go through somebody's field, you can pick a grain. Right. You can't harvest. It was an intentional. You can do it. Leaving it for the, for the poor That's and it. for the strangers or so, the travelers. But look what happens. This is the key. When he look at verse 11, he says, What well, man is there among you that were not pull your sheep out on the Sabbath? Well, he's on the Sabbath, uh -huh. and he's in the temple. And then he has his sheep, the man, has, he takes him by the hand and heals his hand. The reason they just said they want to destroy him is he just told everybody, including these guys to their face, by you not keeping the Sabbath, you have turned this temple into a pit. And you'd pull your sheep out of a pit, and I'm pulling my sheep out of your pit. That's why they want to destroy him. Wow. You see? Yeah, yeah, I see. So now, but, and you always have to save somebody's life. Yeah. Especially, because the, the Torah says you are to worship God while you're alive. Well, to keep the Torah, in other words. So, you have to be alive to do it. <clears throat> so, here's what happens. So, he heals him. And then they said, and then they wanted to figure out a way to destroy him. Right? Right. So, the reason they wanted to destroy him was because he said you turned the temple into a pit. You'd pull your sheep out, I'm pulling my sheep out. That's... That's the insult that was leveled at. But Jesus knew what they were planning, so he left the area. Many people followed him. He healed the sick among them, and he warned them not to reveal who he was. This fulfilled the prophecies, and he refers now to these messianic prophecies in the book of Isaiah. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is beloved. He pleased me. I will put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the nations. And and going to talk about... I wish we had enough time to go down through verse by verse. I'd love to uh, explain what each one of those verses is actually referring to historically, but we don't have time. Right, but but just again with along with the theme of Matthew, then he's Jesus in each case is presenting uh, sometimes verbally, sometimes by example, by by um, what I would say dramatization. He dramatizes his claims. I I, I know. Uh, look, let's look back at Matthew 5 through 8. Remember that great, uh, what we call in our Gentile world, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, and I remember you were the first one to uh, 
give me uh, uh, the advantage that of the That was even the done last year in of, Israel. It's called the Hakel, and every seven years it's done. Yes, the, 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 and the, the king of Israel the, only the king was required to teach so the Torah. So when Jesus is doing this, it's a declaration to the Romans and to all of Israel. I am the king. The king. That That's was his, his claim. That, that was a messianic claim. Yes. And I had never realized that. We call it, you know, we have the Beatitudes and the teaching, and, and it it's brilliant and all of that. But I had not put it together with that passage from, what is it, Joshua, Le, uh, Leviticus, somewhere. Deuteronomy. Where he, yeah, Deuteronomy, where he talks about the God mandates that every seven years the king is to teach the Torah. And to we know what time, because it tells us in Deuteronomy what time of the year it occurs, that he gives what's called the Beatitudes, mm-hmm. we know it's called Sukkot. Okay. So we know because it, it actually says the time. Here in Matthew chapter 5. So there's there's really so much insight and understanding that comes to us if we understand the context in which this dedicated, practicing Jewish man, godly man, uh, Lived in, in the era he lived in, and, and the 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 rules or the scriptures that guided him, uh, and so on. It, it to me is it has made the understanding of the gospel so fascinating, truly, truly fascinating. So look now, look what happens okay. after, after we do the Sabbath. I okay, know we have something that everybody's concerned about. What is the unforgivable sin? Yes, where well, is that chapter? Well, that's still in chapter twelve. But okay, I, I just wanted to mention. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You'll see it in chapter twelve, and it's. Uh, uh, starts at uh, twelve thirty through thirty five. Now it says, uh, "Do you want to read like thirty through thirty five? Sure. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me." Which is really a fascinating um, passage because just a little bit later, I'll I'll find it here in a moment. He says the opposite. It, it, this one said, "Who is not with me is against me," and later on he says, "Anybody who's with me." Uh, is not against me, or, you know. Because, and I often ask people, which one of these did Jesus say? And they go, hmm, they choose one or the other, and they're surprised to find out he actually says both things. I'll find it in a moment. But anyway, he said, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Uh, and so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, now. which will never be forgiven. Okay, now. Assuming that Jesus would not change God's laws but was supporting him, mm-hmm. what could this possibly be referring to? Well, oh, in the we Christian, have our in the, way of understanding sure. it, but I... I please, please explain mean, it. Okay. Explain uh, what we essentially say is that what is the work of the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit is the one who, as Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, he's the agent of, of conversion. He's the agent, agent of the new birth. So he's the one that draws us to faith in God and, and call, so shows us our need for a Savior. He's the one that draws us. And if, so that if we, if we resist and oppose the work of the Holy Spirit, what we're basically doing is opposing and resisting the salvation that God offers, the forgiveness that God offers. So... You can't be forgiven, you can't be saved if you reject the salvation, you reject the forgiveness that God offers. I guess okay. that's basically the now, way we kind of look at it. Let me suggest something else. And okay. so basically that would be the understanding, basically, in the Christian world of what the unpardonable sin is. is right? to, yeah, to reject the redeeming, right. saving work, the call of the Holy Spirit to right. salvation. 
Now, let me suggest okay. this. Mm-hmm. In the Ten Commandments, there's uh, number four is the Sabbath. And it says, it we think, and we if we go back to chapter 12, chapter 12 is dealing just with the Sabbath. And suddenly this portion about the so-called unpardonable sin, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you look at chapter the fourth commandment in Deuteronomy, uh-huh. it talks about it won't be unforgiven. But it doesn't say it interferes with your salvation. It just says there's some kind of punish that will be punished. So it's not just forgiven. You'll be punished. But then the punishment's over. You're okay. You're not going to hell for it. It doesn't say going to hell. It says there's some punishment for it. And it's the fourth commandment. And what's it about? Yes, you guessed. The Sabbath. All right. Well, let's go. You want to pick up sure, uh, our friend Harold is on the line? Sure. Harold, we haven't talked to you, hadn't heard from you for a while, and hope you had a wonderful Christmas season, and you're getting ready for a great New Year. Thanks for calling in. Yes, I am. I have been here off and on, to be honest with you. Good, good. Uh, yes, I have a, a question about Hanukkah. It would. I understood how the they found the first uh, the first uh, jar of oil, say, and that was a light. But that wasn't a miracle because it lasted one day. And then I understood, if I understood correctly, I believe Jacob said that for eight days they had smashed grapes to make oil. Did I understand that right? And that was the miracle? Olives. Well, they they scraped something. No, no, it took eight days to make kosher oil to keep the manure going. So the the little vase, the little cruise, the vessel of the oil they found, that burnt for the full eight days while they had time to make new oil from the olives. And the miracle was that it wasn't supposed to be able That's to right. last. So it should last only eight one days. Day, yeah. Does that make sense? Well, it does. I kind of thought it was that one thing they found lasted eight days, but when the olive smashing got involved. I thought, well, maybe they were just making it, making eight days work. No, no. That's why. Because it takes takes eight days to produce the oil. And so, and that, I guess, the miracle is that that the the limited supply they had, which was only supposed to last for one day, actually lasted for the full eight days. And by then, at the end of the eight days, they had had time then maybe to produce more. Is that the idea? That is it. All right. Well, well Sophie, I think you got it. I think I might have it now, too. Uh, Somehow I missed Harold, it. I'm working I'll on it. I'll talk to you all later. Huh? i got to say, Harold's pretty witty. Well, good to, oh, I'm good, witty. Good to talk with you, Harold. Okay. Glad to hear I'll from you. I'll talk to you later. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Now, I'm going to suggest from a Jewish point of view, the only commandment, and that's a fourth commandment, in the... By the way, let me give Harold knew the number, and we haven't given the number two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five. Oh wait, wait! I was writing it down. Would you say it again? Two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you'd like to do what Harold okay, interrupted no, okay. you, but I want so, to get that out. We know there. the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments uh-huh. is about the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Now that says it will be punished. Doesn't say you're going to hell. It just mm-hmm. says some type of punishment. So, and I do notice in chapter 12 of Matthew, the whole chapter is nothing except the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So, I, and it says, you'll blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Well, the Spirit of God, shall we say, 
gave the commandments. What's that? Well, this time is just flying by. Well, that remember that passage came up because Jesus healed a demon-possessed man, and the Pharisee said, "No wonder he could do that. He's he's casting out demons, but he's getting his power from Satan. So he's a trip. They're attributing to Satan the work of God's Spirit in and with the, working in and with the Messiah Jesus, and so he's speaking to the idea that they are." attributing to Satan what God is doing, and that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, he's saying to them that you better be careful because that that would be unpardonable. That what you can't, if you reject God's redemptive work, then you can't be saved because you're rejecting that very salvation. I I hope that makes sense, but then we can come back, and I want you to continue to talk about that when we get back. Jump on chapter 14 and 15. All right. We'll be back in just a moment, folks. Don't go away. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. We're back for our final segment. Boy, this is flying by. Uh, we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew tonight. We haven't actually gotten deeply into the, well, like I, the different stories and tracing it, but one. we'll get to let's it. Look, let's, I'd like to do something in 14 to 15. Look at chapter 14. Uh-huh. Look at verse 1. I'm there. Okay. At that time, what's it say? Oh, I'm, I'm not there. I've got one more page to turn here. Oh. Uh, the death of John the Baptist is the, basically okay, the, well, the your, heading I have. Yeah. Uh, what per- verse well, read, are we looking When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, he said to his advisors, This must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. What in the world would he, how would he reach that conclusion? Well, That's the thing I want to point out is this rising from the dead business was well known among everybody. Nobody was shocked by rising from the dead. Uh-huh. They even asked John the Baptist. They, uh, or I'm sorry, not John the Baptist, but they ask uh, Peter. Jesus says, who do people say I am? And he says, well, they think you're one of the prophets risen from the dead. Mm-hmm. So everybody knew about rising mm-hmm, from mm-hmm, the dead. Mm-hmm, so there's mm-hmm. something else going on. But go ahead and look what it says. Because it was Herod who had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother Philip. Uh, remember, John had confronted them. John had been telling Herod it is yeah. against God's law for you yeah. to marry her. And Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot. But anyway, he found a way to do it. And uh, he had him beheaded, and his head was brought. That's what I wanted to get to. Look at verse 11. And his head was he cut off John the Baptist's head. He was beheaded. And 10, or while he was in prison, 11. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Verse 12. The disciples came and took the body and buried it. Now, what in the world is going on here? Would you like to know? Yes. No, I, 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 I think I know, and it looks on the surface, as we would read it, you just see this. That's all. This is you like just... revenge for challenging and insulting the, the integrity and honor of the wife of Herod, right? Right. That's yeah, kind of the idea. Nothing like that okay. at all. Herod is not Jewish. Herod is an Edomite. 
Yeah, they call it Idomenian in, mm-hmm. in some of the Bibles because he's he, Idomenian is a descendant of Esau, Edomite. Their religion believed, and if you got the head of a newborn baby or the head of a prophet, mm-hmm. they would be able to tell you the future. And they'd always put it on a silver or gold platter, and they'd put something in the mouth, uh, and it. But they cover the coat, the head, in like tar, and then they'd write something uh, on the plate right in front of the head of the person, and it was believed that that head could prophesy and tell people the future. So this is the religion of the Edomites. So what she's doing is bring me the head of the prophet because she wants to know how to predict and know what the future is going to be. She's adopted this other religion of Herod because uh-huh. he's an Edomite. Now, what's fascinating is this is called, and you'll see this word occasionally in the Christian scriptures, it's called a teraphim. Uh-huh. And in Zechariah, the, the 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 sometimes the head was shrunken, right? Which, if I understand correctly, but uh, often it was a baby. But then this, we see that in the Old Testament as well. With uh, at times, well, you'll see this, it one of the first time it's called household gods, uh-huh. and it's uh, Laban. Mm-hmm. He has it says Rachel took the Rachel took God. them. Yeah, well. The household god is a nice, polite way of cleaning it up. It's okay. teraphim. It's the head of her little baby brother. Mm. Now, and this goes on. Now, one of the claims, things that will most Ill- clearly illustrate it is this, is that in Zechariah, there's actually like a four-verse four stand that explains about the teraphim and how it, fa- it gives false prophecies and people believe things, and it's simply the head of a dead baby or a dead person. But they thought the head of a firstborn baby, because, see, that baby would be as closest to the right. other side or the prophet. That John the Baptist was being interpreted as like a prophet in touch with the other side. Okay. So they want to be able to do this. Now, and you'll find this. There's a story about David when uh, they came looking for him, and his wife had used the teraphim and put it on the pillow and covered it up. And that's so they thought that it was his head, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So the story is reoccurring. It's an ancient Edomite religion involving prophecy getting to the mm-hmm. other side. So we 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 generally we. Just read it, and we think, oh, they didn't like him, and then the worst thing I do is cut his head off. But so we don't know that background right. about the religion, uh, of, of, that this was a part of their religion. Well, it, unfortunately, it is talked about, like in, in Zechariah, pretty, uh-huh. pretty uh-huh. clearly. Uh-huh. Right, I just want to throw that out the bit. Now, what I really love to get to is, and this is going to be a hard one. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. Chapter 15. Uh-huh. Let's take oh, I like this. I think it's one of those. Uh, it's not a parable, but it's one of those sayings. If see if I can, if I'm being accurate here, um, Jesus. Just let me, let me see. Um, okay. No, no, it's not in this particular one. But I, I, there is a saying that Jesus gives that kind of reflects this idea of inner purity. Okay, so go ahead, go ahead, Wait chapter 15. So it says, uh, 15, 1, Then some, not all, some of the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of our elders, for they do not wash their hands before they eat bread? And he, Jesus, answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Jesus is continually going and upholding the commandments of God. He was a very orthodox religious Jew. 
Now, and for uh, and Jesus says, For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil shall be put to death. Well, it's a little worse than just speaking evil. Uh-huh. But uh, he says... Uh, and but you verse, said it's all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give God what I would have given right. you. Uh-huh. Well, and who, who were they giving it to, God? No, mm-hmm. to these guys. They want the money. Mm-hmm. So... And, of course, they have to give some back to Rome and Zeus and all that kind of stuff. So it says, uh, uh, they, Jesus says, well, these hypocrites, uh, you are a bunch of hypocrites. But then in verse 10, after Jesus, then look what it says in verse he 10. He said, you, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their right. worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. So in verse 10, Jesus called the crowd to him. Look at Jesus pulling the crowd around. He said to them, hear and understand two things. He wants them to hear what he's saying, but he wants them to understand. Get the picture. 11. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles a man. Now, that's an interesting comment. And they said, do you realize that you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? No. So how does that offend That's them? That's right. The question is, how does that offend the Pharisees? Well, let's see if we can resolve it, okay? Okay. Okay. Well, um, uh, let's see. Where is that verse about... Uh, um, Oh, wait, on my, let's see, let me, oh, here it is, verse 17. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is eliminated into the waste bowl, the toilet? Aha, now we're going to understand why they're offended. Now, people don't generally put food in their mouth and take food back out of their mouth. So it's uh-huh. not food he's talking about. Right. He's saying food goes in your mouth and goes through your body and comes out as excretion. Mm-hmm. Right? But the words you speak come from the heart. So That's what, he, what defiles you. This is why they were offended in verse, uh, um, uh, in verse 12 when it says, Do you not know the Pharisees were offended when they heard what you said? By your statement, why were they offended? Jesus is saying, look, food goes into your mouth, and it comes out as excrement. Mm -hmm. What's coming out of the mouth of these Pharisees is excrement. Mm -hmm. Whoa. That's a pretty rank insult. And if you use the language and vernacular Mm -hmm. of the day, I think we can all imagine what he's really saying. Uh, He's uh, saying, you know... You you go out into the bathroom, go to the bathroom. Well, bathroom stuff's coming out of their mouth. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Now we know why these guys said, whoa, Jesus. These guys and we recognize how courageous he was. Again, like I'm saying, it, 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 we said at the beginning, when you understand the context of the spiritual, moral, social, political, religious compromise all around him, you see how... And you understand that more clearly. You you see how courageous uh, some of the things that Jesus said and spoke, how they were incredibly courageous in confronting uh, the authorities of that era. It it it, uh, it, it, bring, it helps you to appreciate more and more the courage that it took for him to do that, and and the mental agility to to kind of say it sometimes but not say it you know yeah. that say it in a way that the people understood it but but that it, 
Well, you really can imagine could. if somebody came and said everything is coming out of your yeah. mouth is nothing but crap. You yeah, know? yeah. You, you would probably not care for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now, look, there's another That's what he's saying here. That's exactly what he's saying. He says it's eliminated in a waste bowl. Mm-hmm. He said what's coming out of their mouth. People don't take food out of their mouth. They take words. Mm-hmm. And he's saying their words are the same thing as what goes into the toilet. And so that's why they're saying, oh, they're going to be offended at that, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, look at verse 13. And he and he answered and he said, "Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. Let the blind guides of the blind. If a blind man guides a blind man, they both fall into the pit." Now, what in the world is he talking about? Perhaps you'd like to know. May, in the interest of time, may I offer? Sure, sure. Okay. In English, it's called Darnell's. In Hebrew, it's called zona. Zona is a word very close to the idea of a word for a prostitute in Hebrew. Mm. Ah. Now, why is that? Because when this little plant is with wheat, they look identical. You can't tell which is a poisonous plant, this Darnell or zona, and which is really wheat. But as they grow and they blossom... You can tell which ones are the bad ones or the poison ones, and you pull those out and throw them away. So he's saying, let them grow together. And uh, right now we can't tell which one's good and which one's bad. But you'll see as they kind of mature and blossom mm-hmm. which one is good and which one is bad. By the fruit they bear, perhaps. Exactly well, it's funny that that comes right ahead of this story about the Gentile woman. Whoa, there you who, go. Who, good choice. Uh, uh, because if you have that, that men that mental picture then right. he goes right to the it goes right to this story well, he leaves galilee story. he goes to the region of tyre and sidon this is up to the northwest of israel mm-hmm. <clears throat> i'm sorry <clears throat> and a gentile woman who lived there now this is the region uh where ahab and jezebel uh or jezebel came from it was a region uh Damascus, you know, the, the big city, Tyre and Sidon is up in that area. Remember uh, Habakkuk, Obadiah, they all, that was from that region as well that the prophet went up and, and spoke with them. So uh, this is that region, and a woman um, comes to him. And this is that place where uh, this woman is begging, uh, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her Can I severely. Ask you a question: The version you're reading from, <clears throat> verse 21 to 22, does it tell what kind of woman she is, or does it not say in your version? A Gentile woman, a no. Gentile? She says, uh, "My daughter, a, a Gentile woman." It only says. Oh. Uh, uh, Phoenician a woman? Phoenician. Uh-huh. And it says in verse 22 in the version I'm looking at, the NASB, it says, a Canaanite woman from the region came out. Uh-huh, okay. So that's the clue to me to who this woman is. But go ahead. Uh, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word, and, and the disciples urged her to, her, urged him to send her away. She is bothering us with all her begging. And, and then we have this conversation between Jesus and this woman, uh, this Sino-Phoenician woman, Gentile woman, where the, where he says to her, uh, the, and, and a lot of times in our preaching, uh, our preachers who look at it just kind of on the surface, uh, it looks like he's calling her a dog. Uh, uh, um, 
Is it right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs and so on? And a lot of times uh, I've, I've heard preachers in, in our, our Gentile sure, background. Sure. See, we're just reading it superficially, and they say, oh, but Jews all referred to See, Gentiles as dogs. We have a problem because there's no doubt that Jesus used the term dog. Mm-hmm. So we can't allow Jesus to say to this woman, it's begging for help for her daughter. We can't have Jesus calling her a dog. So we have to clean it up somehow. And in the explanation I've heard among many Christian preachers, I'll say, oh, well, that means he was just going along because Jews referred to Gentiles as dogs. That was a common thing. That's and, right. and, and, and that could, that's 100% incorrect. Well, you, you now go and take it and tell us what he was really saying to her. And what was really going on here is a, actually a beautiful thing, actually. That is. This is, he said, it's a Canaanite woman, a, a Syrophoenician. Mm-hmm. So that gives us the clue of her religion. Mm-hmm. They had the idea of temple prostitutes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they dress up little boys like little girls. And they and they they had sophisticated their way of having human or baby sacrifice uh-huh, uh-huh. because they felt if the the sperm would die, it was the same as having a yeah. child killed. So they and they also had the religion that many times they had to serve in the temple as a temple prostitute prior to marriage. Interesting. So it tells us a Syrophoenician or a Canaanite woman, and she comes. And she, look at 25. It says, But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. 26. And he said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 27. But she said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Now, and then, dear woman, yeah, Jesus wait, said to wait her. Wait a minute. What is it? The your, next verse is has meaning. Yeah. What does it mean? Dear woman, your faith is great. Your you request what, is granted. You so what, something was going on there. No, not something. This is where she gave up her religion as a in her daughter's a temple prostitute. This was her conversion. It's a conversion statement, and how we know that is by Jesus' response. So she said, "So and go. Well, I want you to read it and kind of, go ahead and read it." Dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. Ah, now so Jesus understood. The master she's referring to is now recognized by her as Jesus. So that's her conversion statement, because Jesus is taking it, ah, you have just converted. You're giving up, you're being a temple prostitute, you're mm-hmm. a child. Now, mm-hmm. here is the catch about the dogs. In Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. I believe it's chapter 23, it says, you shall not bring the wages of a prostitute or a dog into the temple. Dogs from Deuteronomy is how the Jews referred to temple prostitutes only temple prostitutes not gentiles nor the religion the temple prostitutes and why it was not what we think about that you scurvy old dog it's because a dog will mate with anything Mm -hmm. that's the context and it comes from deuteronomy when he's saying it he's telling us you've made your daughter a temple prostitute and you come here and want me to heal her but he jesus can't in fact the first time he said, hey, I can't heal your daughter. It's not right to take the bread. Why would he not heal? Isn't he compassionate? Of course he is. But here's the catch. 
What would have happened? Go ahead. I was sent only to help God's sheep. Ooh, I just had an insight. Whoa. Yeah. I was sent only to help God's sheep, the people of Israel. And she came and worshipped him. Lord, it isn't right to take the food. And she, in that moment of conversion, became a part of the people of God. Yes, that's your, that's your answer. Oh, gosh, that makes me cry. That's well, so that's, sweet. That's, so when I hear this stuff about, and I'm sorry to say this, but I hear a common teaching that, oh, well, Jesus was calling her dog because Jews referred to them as dogs. That's absolutely not true. Ta- dog was referring to a temple prostitute. And what happened is this woman worshipped him, converted and said, Master, she, that's her statement of conversion, and we know it. Because Jesus says in 28, oh, your oh, faith that's so is great. T- that's so touching. That Oh, that's so beautiful. I mean, I, I just now hit me more than even before, and I've, I've heard you tell this before, and I, and I understand it, and I agree uh, totally. This was what was going on. But then that, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. And she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. And it isn't right. And it, but that. That's okay. that's true, Lord. But even the dogs, that humility, that that's brokenness, right. that, and he said, your faith is your. It's her conversion statement. You've seen people in your wow. your world change yeah. and convert all the sure, time. Sure, yes. This is her conversion statement. She has just given up being a pagan that may is a temple prostitute as she was. She made her daughter, perhaps a little boy, and in the Greek it does appear that it's masculine, but that's another matter. At any rate, so here's the catch. Wow. So, and her child was instantly why healed. Why would Jesus have to say the first time in verse 23 wow. that uh, he didn't answer her in 24? He said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, wow. why would he refuse her? Isn't he compassionate? Here's the answer. In the interest of time, here's a temple prostitute. Turned her daughter, maybe her son, uh-huh. dressed like a little girl, uh-huh. into uh-huh. a temple prostitute. Uh-huh. If Jesus heals that baby at that time, it's a very sympathetic story. But if he heals it, he has just accepted and acknowledged to all the crowd that that religion's good for me, too. I accept it. He can't. He must say, no, first got to leave that religion. You convert, and it's... You become part of the people of God, following the true and living God. There you go. And she does. He can't do it because he would have endorsed her religion. Lord, help me, she cries. Can you imagine the... The uh, the passion and the depth of her pain and Lord help me in those words. Yeah. So isn't that a, uh, when you when you put it in context? Now what troubles uh, me? May I share a little point with you? Please, please. What troubles me is the stuff I was telling you about Deuteronomy about dogs and temple prostitutes uh-huh. and thieves and robbers. That's all there. It's always been there. I, what bothers me is these fellows, and I hate to say that, but I'm going to say it. I thought I was supposed to be preachers. How come they don't read that and understand what they're reading there? Oh, Jacob, we, 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 I'm I'm going to tell you one more time, and I think you never believe me, but even well-meaning, even us well-meaning Gentile believers, we sometimes don't get it from the, from, if you, if all you have is this English version and you read the story and you try to make as much sense of it as you can, but you don't have that background you're talking about. We don't connect those dots necessarily from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the, back to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. To the, and we we forget the context that Jesus, who he is, he's he's... 
He's a Jewish, a committed Jewish believer, following after God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And and, and see, we don't get, we don't get that, and that's why it's such a blessing at times to get this background and this context, and, and to see. Um, and it doesn't whittle away at our faith at all. It just makes me more devoted and to see what Jesus. So he he does the miracle. Did. He heals the baby. Yeah. But first, she must give up the pagan religion. That's right. And it makes all the sense in the world. Well, our time is just about up, so How I don't know if we, do we have, have time left? to get into another topic. Uh, we're, I guess we're up. Uh, what do we do? We have maybe uh, have one minute, 15 seconds. Okay, one minute, 15 seconds. Go well, for I, it. I, I, just, then I, I really, You're right. I don't have time, but there's something else I wish we had time for. Uh-huh. Actually, I wish we had a lot more time because of all kinds of stuff in Matthew. Oh, Matthew is just so full. We have the transfiguration when Jesus takes uh, Peter, James, and John up, and he is transformed in their presence. And, wow, that, what a, a powerful but, but moment you know, that was. Uh, I would like to say that... Uh, I hope everybody had uh, had a hope, uh, happy holiday. Wonderful holiday, see, uh, wonderful Christmas, Christmas for the yep. Christians, Hanukkah for the Jews, uh-huh. and there's no exclusion from anybody celebrating Hanukkah with the Jews. That's right. And Jesus Himself and Math, I'm sorry, John ten twenty two celebrated and kept mm. Hanukkah. Well, I hope everyone had a great season there. And, of course, we're coming up on a brand-new year. Folks, be blessed. Have a wonderful 2020. May it be the greatest year you ever had. And I don't mean that to minimize any of the past wonderful years you've had. I just hope this is a great one for all of us, that God is going to move in our your life, my life, our homes, our families, our city, and our state, before we go our off, nation. Can I, can I add that one thing? Please. Uh, Always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. Amen. Goes there. Join us again next Sunday night for The Bible Live here on this great station, folks. It would be great to be with you always. Uh, Our reading next week will come from, uh, we'll finish up the Gospel of Matthew and go back back to the book of Numbers in the Hebrew Scriptures. So I hope you'll read with us. Go to the website, thebiblelive.com, if you'd like to see a copy of the reading schedule so you can read along and follow our our journey through the Scriptures every year. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. 